Hello, this is James and you are listening to the Generational Knowledge Podcast. I'm 21 years of age and just like a lot of folks my age, I have deep and ever-evolving questions that I want answers to. The inquiries I have serve the purpose of understanding the way of the world in order to form a meaningful perspective. I will be posing my questions from a broad range of topics to people with the knowledge, the experience and perspective to answer them. So in this inaugural episode, I will be interviewing my dad, Stephen. I would describe him as a deep thinker, a walking library, and a horrible comedian. His everlasting knowledge on a long list of topics never fails to impress me. And quite frankly, it makes me feel like a big blob of meaningless stupidity. So in that sense, I thank you for joining, and I hope you enjoy this exploration of ideas with Stephen. Hi, Dad. How are things? Good. Good. Thank you. Good. Um, to get you up to date with a few people listening to this, this podcast is a type of interview where I will ask you a broad range of questions from the world of politics, history, economics, life, love, finance, government, entrepreneurship, family, and many more topics. You can look at this conversation as a generational transfer um, of questions, ideas, and perspective. Me being the idiot, you being the library. Um, the reason I'm doing this with you, Dad, is not just because you're my father, and like in so many father and son relationships, I believe you to be knowledgeable, but I'm doing this because I've observed that a lot of self-reflected and successful peers of mine, so friends, colleagues, and many more, seem to want you to pick your brain as well. Um, we've had that experience with a few and always thought about how we could get that information out to many more, so I thought... Um, this would be a good idea. And knowing that your favorite pastime is to read in peace and quiet and not talk to every single one of my friends, I thought I'd give uh, everyone else access to you with this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, okay, so let's begin. The first question I would like to ask you is, what is a remnant? That's a really good question. Well, the... Um... I think the term first appears in the Old Testament to describe the the rump or the small section of the Israelite society that hadn't been completely corrupted under the um, under a sequence of of bad kings um, after Solomon. And I, th- I think the very first time it, it, it appears is in the description of King Ahab, the Israel, the Israelite king, because Israel was split up into um, into two kingdoms. The tribes of Judah and Benjamin formed Judah, and they were based in Jerusalem. And then there was the other ten tribes that formed Israel, and they had two different kings and. Um, and they were either good kings because they kept to the word of God or they were bad kings because they didn't and worshipped other gods and the remnant was always the um, was the, the small group of people 
who was still of the true faith and who adhered to God's word and and didn't um and didn't follow in the sort of heathen footsteps of uh, of the rest of the population and i think it was first mentioned um when um let me think who was it i think it was ezekiel was giving was about he was god's prophet and he was about to give up and he said it's just me and they've wiped everybody else out and he was living alone in a cage down by in a cave they didn't have anything to eat and there was a, a drought and ahab was after him and going to kill him mm-hmm. um, and and he said, turns to god and says why bother there's just me and god says to him don't you worry there are at least four thousand seven thousand others the remnant that um that are true to my word and that's the first time it, it appears i think and the second time was in isaiah and isaiah was also god's prophet um at the time when the um the babylonians were just about to come and effectively take the whole of the israelis into into captivity and drag them off and destroy jerusalem and, mm-hmm. and there's this <laughs> it's an interesting conversation that Isaiah has with God, who says, to, and God says to him, okay, you've got to go out there and you've got to spread the word and you've got to tell everybody what the true message is. And Isaiah says, well, that, I'm more than happy to do that, but who's going to listen? And because because the, the corrupt rulers and the, the, the decadent upper classes and the elite who have, you know, given over to 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 worshiping other gods and fornication and many would feel that way about centers of power today uh, well it, true and um and isaiah and, and isaiah said well will they listen and god said oh no no they're not going to listen and isaiah said well, what's the point Fair enough. and god says there is a remnant in israel of people who need to hear this and you your job is to go out speak the message because they will hear it, and by hearing it, they will be encouraged. And the remnant are who I'm going to build the new Jerusalem mm-hmm. out of. So when everybody's gone off to captivity, this lot have all been wiped out. The, the whole place is in smoke and ashes. At some stage later, the remnant are the people who I will draw together to be the sort of like the seed corn for the new Jerusalem. That's and that's what the remnant is. A remnant is a just means the leftovers. It's people who are um the, you know, the moral the, leftover well it, uh, there's the remnant itself the word doesn't actually mean doesn't have any particular moral implication it just means the rest but in that particular case and i think the case that or the context that you're putting it in and asking me it means exactly that it means that that true band of believers that 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 rest of people of the true faith out of whom in the old testament context god said he would create he would build the new civilization that's yeah that's okay right. understood so you could say that they would be the last like let's say moral leftover of the founding of the society I, while everything else is going corrupt and the the description it was an amazing essay 
by um, Alfred Nock, mm-hmm. who was a was I suppose an early libertarian, someone who was deeply suspicious of government, deeply suspicious of the motive and power structures of government. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote an, a wonderful essay about Isaiah called Isaiah's Job, um, in which he describes you know, this process of 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 him preaching to the remnant, even though he couldn't see them. And even though he never got any feedback from them, he had to just trust that his word was getting out there and being heard by them and encouraging them. And the remnant, Nock describes the remnant as, as people who had, who had the moral conviction to see what was wrong and the courage to live by it. So okay. it, it required those two things. Firstly, you had to have a set of, you have to have a set of principles or values and recognize that whatever was happening outside was in, in contravention of them on the one hand. And on the other hand, you have to have the courage to do something about it. So it was those two things, intelligence based on values. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a sort of visceral intelligence of knowing when something is right or wrong and then courage. And I think if you want to look at what God meant about the sort of characteristics that God was assuming the remnant had or he was attributing to them was this this understanding of what was right and wrong and the courage to um, to act on it even if it meant it cost them their lives okay yeah well the reason i'm asking this question is because well i don't want to make a statement about the current world we're living in because i wouldn't say that i have the knowledge or experience to actually make that statement but considering that the powers of center are getting more and more, let's say, corrupt and losing more and more of their founding morals, um, whatever you may connect that to, if it is due to COVID or fiscal policy or whatever you want to go back to, who would the remnants be now? And would that even be comparable to, to, to what we were just talking about? And to the biblical connection to what a remnant means. Could you make a comparison now? Who would be the remnants and what could they do? Well, um, that's a really good question. Another really good question. There is a... There's a the difficulty with answering that question is it assumes that the remnant is right and that the rest is wrong or evil or morally corrupt or that the remnant is has this sort of idea of purity. And I think if you're asking the question based on our Western evolved enlightenment understanding of liberty i just want to make sure that you're referring to the enlightenment and not saying that we are in no no the, in enli- the, the enlightenment the enlightenment yeah, the one that started around about 1660 with just wanted to clarify that yeah no, for the, the listeners the, the enlightenment the sort of period that we've been living through for the last 400 years roughly mm-hmm. maybe 350 depends where you start it most people like to start the enlightenment with um galileo when he made his earth-shattering discovery that 
the sun didn't evolve around the earth, but the earth evolved around, evolved around the sun. Mm-hmm. That shattered the, the understanding of the earth being at the center of God's universe and sort of opened up the whole sphere of scientific inquiry under a new paradigm. And that's where we tend to start the Enlightenment. So if that's where it started, let's say round about 1660, then we've been in it for the best part of 360 years. Um, And in that time, a few things have happened. Firstly, we've discovered the individual. Secondly, we've discovered science and the power of scientific inquiry. Thirdly, we've discovered financial, the power of financial system, market system. And I suppose the, as part of the individual, the discovery of the individual as being, you know, a unique and supreme being with his own rights and destiny, which definitely wasn't the case in 1660 when it started, but it's evolved over the last sort of 350 years, this idea that there is an individual and the individual is endowed with certain inalienable rights, as the US Constitution puts it, um, the more the foremost of which is is liberty. And basically, the last 360 years have been a sort of progression of all four of those they've been the building of of an ideal around the individual they have been the building of a system of individual liberty a political system based on the on the primacy of individual liberty Mm -hmm. there's been a a never-ending and rapidly evolving accelerating idea about the primacy of science and the scientific method and constant searching for some sorts of truths about our natural world and the way that we that we can harness it for our own power and fourthly the idea of an economy interconnected fueled by science and fueled by individualism so that's been the enlightenment and if you believe that those are all powers for good. The right principles. That individual liberty Mm -hmm. is at the heart of our pursuit of happiness as individuals, and that no other individual should have power over another. No single individual or no collective could have power to interfere with the rights of the individual. Mm And you can see the whole of the sort of development of, of that great experiment, political experiment, which was the United States, which you know, hundred years after Galileo, was declared its independence and created its own constitution, and it was the first time in history that that had ever happened. Never ever happened before that that, that a society organized itself without a ruling class, without kings, without a without priesthood, without... It's the first time that that a group of people have got together and said, we're going to do this based on a set of principles and laws which we're going to write down in our constitution. 
and then we'll figure it out as we go along. It never happened in human history before, ever. And it was written for the individual, not for the power center. It says the, the, the premise on which it was founded was that, that the individual was imbued with certain unalienable rights, one of which was the pursuit of happiness, life, and liberty. Okay. And so, um, and if and to answer your question, I'm answering in a roundabout way because I can't just say the remnant are right and everybody else is wrong because that would be arrogant. So you have to ask yourself, what are they? What could they be right about? And what is it about the current situation that is possibly wrong? So my standpoint on this, as you know, is that I believe that of the principal liberties, the liberty that is most important is the one over my body. Yes. That nothing should be put on or in my body that I don't agree with. And anything that I want to put on or in my body is my business, not anybody else's business. So I have very liberal views on a whole range of things. Um, and I find it extremely difficult mm -hmm. when the state starts legislating into areas that are none of its business. Okay. Because it changes the fundamental relationship between the citizen and the state. And the question that it throws up is, are we citizens or are we subjects? Are we going back to a sort of kingship of the elite? Or are we free? Or are we free? And what does freedom mean? So my own sense is that this, the, the, the larger government gets, the more, it in, the more space it takes up in civil society and the economy, the more it will try to rule over individuals because governments can't do anything else. They set up rules that are very, that they're not individual. Mm -hmm. they, they, they take over whole areas and then try to legislate around them. And that always leads to an incursion in freedoms and micromanaging and all sorts of things, which leads to hugely unfair outcomes and interferes with the normal process of discovery, risk, reward, and all the things that go with it. And what we are seeing in our lives at the moment through COVID, particularly, COVID isn't the reason this is happening, it's, but it's the reason that we can see that it has been happening. So COVID and this sort of medical, um, this intrusion into life, liberty, freedom of association, freedom of movement, and indeed into legislating into our bodies as a result of some invisible um, virus and enemy that uh, is now being talked about in, in martial terms. In other words, we are, the governments are talking about this as a war on. So if it's a war, it means it's in the national interest and everybody has to do what they're told and there's extreme measures that can be taken because we're in a war. It's dangerous nonsense, very, very dangerous nonsense. But if you're asking, so if, what you're asking me is, who are the remnant today? Well, I think the remnant in this particular case mm -hmm. are those people who recognize that government has, has 
encroached into far too many areas of our lives. Okay. The, the government interference in the economy and into, into many, many aspects of our economic and social life has, has gone much further than is healthy. Mm -hmm. As a result of government getting bigger and bigger, it needs bigger and bigger bureaucracies that come out with more and more rules, legislations, and infantilization of the public for all sorts of reasons. And I'm being very sort of superficial about this, but the remnant of those people who recognize that, who recognize what is happening as a Rubicon being crossed in terms of, of individual liberties and constitutional freedoms that we thought we didn't have to think about anymore. It's now becoming clear that unless we fight for them, they are going to be taken away and eroded very, very rapidly. And, and I think the remnant are the people who can see that, who can articulate it, and who have a positive vision of what the alternative would be without being sort of retrospective and historical about it, who have an, an understanding of what what enlightenment libertarians or free society looks like in the 20 in the 21st century if i may add to that i think one thing missing to that is also for those people to be able to skillfully disengage in political affiliation because i feel that now let's say you are a remnant and you are no matter if you believe that, let's say, for example, a vaccine is good in your body or not, that this vaccine would help you and protect others, no matter if you believe that or not, but that you believe that government should not be able to mandate it in, into your body. Um, would that remnant even be able to, to, to articulate these views, these um, ideas of freedom and liberty without being um, pushed in onto the right of politics or to the left or whatever the spectrum looks like tomorrow. I don't think it has anything to do with right and left anymore. And, and the last election in the United Kingdom proved that beyond any doubt that there is the right and the left don't really exist except in the, in the minds of the political and intellectual classes who are still sticking to sort of a very simplistic view of labor and and capital which makes absolutely no sense the 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 parties represented represented in parliament they are all part of the same mental model around um around what the role of the state is and what their job is there's there is nobody in parliament or very very few people in parliament at the moment who advocate a different model they just have different things that they're that, that they're focused on but their basic idea of the state expanding incrementally of government being able to legislate into all sorts of areas of life there is nobody defending the principle of of restriction or even you know a a, a pulling back of the state nobody there's none of the parties. So it, the, the left-right idea is just, you know, in the same way that you've got 
wrestlers in red and blue. You need two different teams. Okay, no, I got that. But what I was just trying to to ask you is if a remnant nowadays, let's say in context of the, the vaccine mandate um, debate, would that remnant even be able to to articulate this fairly to everyone um without being being linked um to an, a political f affiliation well they well the, the words that are being banded around now as sort of general insults for anybody who doesn't toe the line are racists and fascists or anti-vax or whatever or, or, or lunatics or conspiracy theorists so okay. anybody who doesn't agree with government policy and there is no real difference between government policies at the highest level between the, the two various parties particularly in okay. America, there's just no big difference so you can't you, there isn't there are very few countries that have a party have parties that are strong enough that you could say if I give them my vote I'm voting for a return to common sense in 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 respect of basic liberties and you know the, the discussion has now got to the point where where you are branded selfish which is really really dangerous conspiracy theorist lunatic fringe tinfoil hat whatever they yeah uh, i get i get the you know whatever the, the whatever the the descriptions are if you have an opinion a strong opinion apart from the official narrative so I, it doesn't matter because the, the insults that are being heaped on people like that are so ludicrous. It doesn't really matter whether you call them left or right because it's gone. It's gone far okay. beyond that. Okay, understood. Um, well, this question about what a remnant is and what they are now um, ended up being a very long answer, which I appreciate. Um, now, I'd like to zoom out a bit, and I've thought about this question for a while that I'm going to ask you now. Um, and I wasn't sure on how to formulate it the right way. But the gist of the question is, um, what is the human's role in the world or the universe? Um, and what are the paths that the human animal can take? What can we be, bad or good? Or what choice do we even have? So again, what is the role of the human in the world or the universe? And what are the paths the human animal can take? And it's going to the extremes. So either the very good one or the very bad one. And I know you obviously need a definition of good or bad on that, but um, that would be the question. What is our role and, and, and what path could we take? Or are we, or do we even have a choice? Are we constrained to ourselves and to our, to our deepest animal instincts? Is part of that question, would the planet be better off without us? No, because that's not the case. Okay, because if it was, then I would say... I wouldn't say that, because I, I personally, if you ask me, I personally believe that we have a lot of potential to make this world a better place. I just think that there are a lot of forces standing in between us and that. But... Um, I, all right. But no, okay. I, wouldn't, I but... wouldn't consider us gone. I, considering that we are there and... We, have, we every, have a choice. We have every bit as much right to be on this planet as any other species. You know, we, we and every other 
living species, every blade of grass, every fly and us, we are part of an ecosystem that has survived for the best part of 4 billion years. We are, we are where we are because we are an integral part of the natural world in which we live. So that's the baseline. The second part of the question or the answer is, and it's a huge question, so I'm only going to give it a very short answer. And that is, it depends whether you are a, whether you have a spiritual perspective or whether you have a nihilistic perspective. A nihilistic perspective. Could you describe nihilism just in a short sentence? Yeah, it means or everything means there's no meaning to anything. Okay. We're just very clever monkeys that are great at telling ourselves stories to somehow explain the complex context of the universe in which we found ourselves. Would you pres prescribe yourself to one of those two views? Absolutely. The spiritual one, if I Absolutely. may guess. Okay. So, and the other one is that we are sentient beings with a particular blessing and if you are if you have a if you believe in a spiritual tradition then i mine happens to be a christian one but i'm sort of evolving i think i've evolved my thinking past the confines of the narrow religious dogma um, on which that belief is built if you believe that we are made in God's image and that there's something special about us as sentient human beings, then we're just at the beginning of our evolutionary potential. You know, and we're we're still we're still very much caught in our lizard brain function. Um and we, what do a, you mean by that? Well, it means that we're still very much, you know, our instincts and our, our responses and our, and our tribal mechanisms are still very much governed by our pre and historic evolutionary makeup. Um, but we do have, we do have a slow understanding that our brains and our thinking capacity is much larger than we we can even imagine you know there have been there, there are enough human beings on the planet who have reached a further stage of of cognizant um potential than we than we have in the sort of narrow confines of our material existence mm -hmm. um to give one the belief that that is learnable that there are you know that we have we have a way to go on our on our evolutionary projection uh, development and you know we're not nearly there sorry for the interruption our previous recording just cut off so we will continue so you said you believe that we have where did we cut off uh, just a few seconds ago okay so I think the answer to the question, and if this is a generational podcast, so you're looking to for your generation is looking for presumably wisdom from others that it can evaluate and say, do I think this is a good thing or, or a bad thing? Do I think this is useful information for me to 
to form my own life and opinions around, I think that we we have a fundamental choice. And so it's like a fork in the road. And you can always go back to the other path, but it does determine everything you do. If you if you are nihilist, if you really don't believe that we are anything other than selfish monkeys with a high with a with a with an overdeveloped brain that can be biologically explained going back to you know, thirty five to fifty thousand years ago mm-hmm. when we started eating meat and smoking weed or doing whatever it is that we did. <laughs> okay. That then you know expanded our brain massively and gave us this this evolutionary inexplicable but very useful thinking tool in our head and that everything else that has happened since then is just narrative that we've told ourselves that has no basis in any fact and we are just still very aggressive very clever warlike monkeys who are trying their best to sort of survive and get what's theirs. So if you believe that, there's no God, there's no point, there's no purpose, there's no, there's no, there's nothing, then you will have to organize your life in an entirely different way than if you believe that there is a spiritual purpose. So if everything, if there is no spiritual purpose, then everything is a negotiation or violence. Okay, but what do you believe? What is our role? Well, because I'm a because I am a considering you are biased in the spiritual sense. Our role is transcendent. I think it's to transcend the limitations of our sort of small material roots and thinking patterns, and effectively, if you want it right down to the, the, the core spiritual law, which is the one that Jesus answered to Matthew in, in, in Matthew's gospel, when he was asked which are the most important commandments, he said, love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And what I think the sort of deeper meaning or the, the, the broader meaning of that is love your God means be thankful and appreciative every day of the gift of life and the glory and wonder of life itself. Just the mere fact that we're alive and surrounded by life and are alive. That's the sort of the God part of it. And loving yourself as your neighbor or your neighbor as yourself means effectively putting all that life in service of both your own personal and spiritual development and in service of others. And if you do that, you know, as if you, if you live your life just according to those two principles or two and a half principles, then that's the point. That's the point. Okay. I like that. I like that answer a lot. Um, Considering that we that we talked about a lot of religion already, um, I'm going to make the the first part of the next question um, quick. Um, 
and in order for us to to advance to the to the real question that i have um we'll need to consider that all the big leading figures and central prophets of the world's big religions would have centrally the same message or similar message would that be correct If you, if you boil it down to its absolute essentials... So what Jesus has said, what Muhammad said, what Buddha would say... We're all connected. Life is intrinsically connected. And that there is an energy and life force to which we all have access that requires us to be in harmony with it and it is it is pure love it is abundance it is it respects all there is no competition there's it, it's endless abundance and tapping into that and and being and organizing our lives in um to fit that paradigm is I think at the heart of every great spiritual tradition. Okay, well, do you think that um, their religious movements have ever, or do, still do, represent those core values? As in religious movements, I, I, I include the institutions, I include the, the movement of the mass. Um, the movement of? Of the crowd, of that religion what they, how they act on, on the preachings. And if, so the core of the question would be, do these religions still represent that core message? Well, they're built on it. Whether they represent it or not is mood. And the, and the answer I, I suspect you want to hear from me is no, that they don't. They, because they are human constructions, and they are full of people who have power through those structures and they use that power and they're competitive because they don't they want their team to win or they want their religion to dominate or they want their power structure to and so once religion and politics mix it gets very messy and moves the more the more religion or the more Spiritual belief is institutionalized and hierarchical. The more it moves away from those core principles. Okay, so so do you think that that kind of religion has a space in the future of humanity? Um, if so, how would it look, and or does it even have a place? It will evolve as all things evolve. I, I, I can't answer that. Do do, do I think spirituality? Has, do I think? Oh, I, I'm not spirituality because I, I definitely believe that spirituality has more and more of a place in the future, but that the the form of religious institutions that we know as we know them now, um, does that have a space in the future? Considering that numbers of people um, joining churches or Christian institutions or um, other religious institutions in Europe is declining ever more in, in, in europe it might it's be a free fall in europe it might be in other parts of the world it isn't 
Christianity is still the largest religion in the world by a long shot. And I, mean, I don't know, where, where will we be in, in 3021? You know, a thousand years from now, will all the religions of the world look the same? No, of course they won't. Will they will have evolved further. Will there be a time when there, when there really is only a remnant of people who have spiritual belief? Yes. Will there be another time when there will be a... a a reawakening, a great spiritual reawakening at some stage in the future, and people rediscover the sort of histories and, and come up with a new variation of it. I mean, look at the look at the Christian tradition. The Christian tradition was fairly simple when it started, you know, with St. Paul going out and founding the church in Jesus's name. And then it became the Church of Rome, and then it was powerful for, I don't know, over a thousand years and then suddenly it started getting challenged and there were different split aways and different religions. I mean, you just have to look at the Christian faith. I, I know nothing at all about the other religions. If you look at the Christian religion, look at how many different variations there are, how it's changed, how mutable it is in 500 years and a thousand years. Is it all going to look the same as today? Absolutely not. But how it will look, I have no idea. Okay. Um, well, we were already on the topic of of change when we were talking about remnants and and what that would take. An interesting kind of mind game that I had, um, or scenario that I like to play in my head, is is the question of what leader in history would be best equipped to change the current world to a better place. And for that, we would obviously have to consider what that historical person's position would be in the world now. Let's say president of the of the United States of America or or chairman of the Communist Party in China or what would that person's position have to be and who would that person be who would be best equipped to change our current world to a better place? Who can you think of? You mean the position or a, an individual? Well, what would you like to start with first? Um, well, given what I think is the most likely outcome over the next decade, I suspect we haven't heard of that person yet. Um, my my sense is that... The person or the position? Possibly both. Possibly both. I mean... All right, I'll tell you what I, th what, what I think is a, is a likely scenario. At the moment, we are... We are looking at the potential end of the Enlightenment. If you look at the way that science is now being completely politicized, yeah. it's not about the the best ideas competing with each other. There are there are accepted ideas and there are unacceptable ideas. For example, for a bit of context, the Wuhan lab leak theory. The Wuhan lab, lab leak which theory. was at the beginning just, touted or, as a conspiracy or just, theory, and then or just now the, or has the, been or COVID considered into fact. Or COVID itself. There is a narrative, and that's and that sound. It sounds an awful lot like previous religious dogma, where there was only one truth, and that anybody who dared suggest there was another truth, um, or questioned it, was tortured and made to recant, or burnt at the stake, or you know the, the, the ruling power structures not based on enlightenment principles 
have very simple ways of dealing with people who came up with you know different ideas um, and we are we are getting perilously close to accepting that as being a normal way to deal with things perilously close um, and so there are two you know there are a number of ways that this could go my own sense is that all of this authoritarianism that we're seeing is a mixture of of various strands in our society that have now come together because of the fact that after 50 years of profligacy money is just spiraled out of control we're in the end phase of you know the Keynesian economics. Well, well certainly in the, in the end phase of Keynesian economics. Although I think Keynes will be spinning in his grave at what has been made out of his basic theory. Okay. But my own sense is that we are very close to a to a time in which the nation state itself, you know, this this idea of the the nation as being the supreme organizing structure after the kingdoms and the empires of the sort of previous millennia, um, the state, uh, the the state as it was conceived in, in the Treaty of uh, Westphalia um, during the, the end of the Thirty Years' War, and then again in 1848 with the sort of the Burger revolutions, um, th that state the idea of a central government with a central army and a central narrative and a and and a and a central cultural theme uniting all the people in its border that's that is going to be that is now being tested to destruction and it will be it it will collapse there there will be it was won't that narrative will change over the next 20 to 30 years. So when you're asking me who and where or what the position is, my sense is that these super state structures, because of the power of technology and because of the, um, the, the size that you now need to run a, a, a political entity, has collapsed dramatically with microtechnology, basically. So you don't need these huge states anymore. You don't need countries of 80 or 120 or 150 million. You just don't need them. Okay. So, the and but they are not going to be given up easily and they're certainly not going to be given up without a fight. So what we will see in the next 10, 20 years, you know, you're 21 now, so over the, the, the next phase of your life, you will see playing out a battle between the old structures and new ideas which will look a lot more like you know Europe in the 13th century than it will you mean today. scattered small states smaller smaller states smaller okay. states with its with their own individual power structures hopefully there I won't be peasants I don't think no they won't be and I think that will be there will be a great deal more competition there'll be a great deal more you know different concepts um i don't think the united states will will last in its current form of 52 states i just don't believe that that's possible um they've you know, they've abused they've had their they've had their century of and a half or century of power mm -hmm. the last half century they've massively abused 
their currency privilege and that will change in the next 10 years of that i am absolutely convinced um, so to answer my question I don't, the whole you don't know you couldn't even you i certainly don't know you couldn't I, find a structure of reference to answer no, the question no and what i think uh, no i can't i think okay. that there will be somebody will will have the guts to and will secede from a structure so let's say Catalonia breaks away from Spain or or Wales breaks away from the United Kingdom or, or Scotland or Scotland or or Bavaria or, from Germany or Bavaria from Germany and it gets it and so as soon as things start shifting and the experiments start happening or, or one of the states in America says you know we've had it we Texas or Texas maybe California well, I think everyone would want California more well, than the other way around. You know, every, I don't think everybody, but people, people with a who's the remnant of libert of libertarians, and we possibly I don't know whether you're going to ask me about. Libertarianism. I will ask you about libertarianism. Okay, well, we'll get to it. Um, I think the the people who will emerge will be the next generation, your generation, of leaders who are tidying up the mess that this is going to end in. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And we'll come up with a smaller structure with a with a unif with a with a certain culture. You know, let's say I'm, I'm just using Wales as an example. I don't think it will be, but and Scotland, nor do I think Scotland will be, but some regional area where there which is small enough to be um small enough to have a sort of cultural identity and large enough to be you know a reasonable economic unit okay somebody standing up and saying we're going to do this differently we've had it we we're going to, we'll reintroduce real democracy and we'll get rid of all these this this big brother statism okay. and we don't want war we don't want you know we have a, we have a small militia just you know, to be defended, we'll have a we'll be joining a sort of group of other countries to have sort of joint defence, um, and our principles are one, two, three, and four, and our borders are open. If you want to come and live here, then do. And I think you will see huge sort of migrations Shifts. all over the place. Yeah, you will. Um, and old structures just being completely reinvented. But our generation can't do that. Your generation will have to do it. Yeah. No, I agree definitely. Okay, sorry for the for the interruption. Um, so the next question I have um, is quite important to me and to myself and to my let's say preparation for the future and to a few friends of mine who I've been talking about these things a lot with. Um, so basically, what do you believe are the three biggest problems and reliefs or positives that my generation will will face? So three positives, three challenges that we that we have in our way and they don't have to be three for each but um the important ones that come to mind would be helpful the biggest challenge defending liberty okay dealing with
50 years of debt accumulation and demographics. What do you mean by demographics? Well, the the Western countries, and I include or G7 plus China, all have dramatically aging populations. And there is an absolutely no way that anybody's going to do anything about that within the next 50 years. Yeah. Because even if we all start bonking like rabbits, it's going to take... 18 years until... Yeah, and we're not. Yeah, yeah of so, course not. So the, and, and, and there is too large a section of the population already who is definitely not going to be procreating. Because? Because they're too old. Okay. Yeah, who just take the... If, if, I don't know what the cut-off point for women is, but let's just say it's 45. I think it's a bit... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the I exceptions on that. having babies at 50, but let's say the sort of menopause starts somewhere between 45 and 50. Let's just say it's 45. Okay. It's not based on any medical evidence, just observing the world. So if you take out all the women over 40, over 45 of childbearing age, you're already, you know, reducing the effect that even if everybody under 45 started producing two or three children, mm-hmm. it would still take, you know, 30 to 40 years for that to have a significant effect on changing the demographics. Okay. And so it's, it's just not going to happen. And what will, and so the, the challenge for your generation is that the the, the interplay of those three things, an aging population that is easily scared, as we've just seen with COVID, you know, give an elderly population a medical scare, and what do they do? They say, oh, let's shut everything down. It's the people who are older that are telling everybody to stay at home because they're worried about themselves. And that is, you know, that's... I, th- I find that yeah, we don't have to get into that. Like, okay, well, that so, is selfish in itself. Of so, course. but as the population ages, not only is the workforce required to pay, sort of, to generate the cash flow that keeps them in, that keeps the dependents, the children and the elderly, in, you know, alive. There is also a, a, an increasingly large amount of the workforce that needs to to be siphoned off to look after them in basically non-productive um, in non-productive activity so the economy gets hobbled not only by the fact that there are less people working but also by the fact that of the ones that are working a an increasing proportion of them has to look after the the dependents okay. and that that's one of the the serious issues that your generation has got to deal with the next 20, 30 years. Um, and it will cause massive lo- dislocation. And also, unfortunately, probably a significant drop in the standard of living because not only are we starting from a very high point, most of which has been debt financed, mm-hmm. that debt has got to be serviced. Mm-hmm. It can't be refinanced in a, this, this zero interest rate. It may well last for a generation. You know, you may live through the next 20 years with interest rates being at rock bottom deliberately 
in order to create sort of the inflation necessary to get rid of the debt load. But it won't. I don't think it'll work because it okay. never really does. So those are the three big ones. And notice I have not said climate. I do not think the climate is something that your generation will have to worry about or any other generation in the way that it's now being framed. Okay. Well, I would argue that in terms of climate, the thing that we definitely have to worry about is um, the ever compounding and just larger getting uh, pile of trash. Like I'm not talking about the climate itself, the temperature or whatever, but the amount of trash that is... The, you mean the respect for the that environment? That is circulating yeah. around the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that is, that is in places that is also... That is also in places that aren't so close to us, let's say in the Pacific or um, certain pl places in Asia where there's literally beaches and beaches full of of plastic and of trash. And I think the climate argument, if the climate is getting warmer, if that is normal or not, let's let's separate that. But what I find very, very important is is the awareness and the respect for our natural world and to go back to the spiritual sense is to life around us and that we're not the only being on this planet but there are a lot of other yep. creatures beautiful creatures that are there yep. that we sh that we need to respect them okay so what so you wanted to you wanted to have three positives and three I wanted to have three positives yes okay the positive thing i think has to do with the the problems i think your generation will be the first generation to make sensible choices about growth and understand us and economy as an ecosystem. That's the positive. I think the, the second positive is the rise of micro-entrepreneurship. I think that as the superstructures collapse, the, the large organisations that depend on those superstructures will also start collapsing, making way for a much richer ecosystem of small business. With individual entrepreneurship. Yeah. I think that's the single largest. Um, and I think... The single largest? Single, single largest benefit that will accrue is this idea of individual responsibility and community-based responsibility. So taking it away from the state and bringing it back to the individual, to the family and to the community. I think we'll see an enormous resurgence of that as the state, you know, having extended itself far beyond what it can finance and support finds itself just driven back to you know, a, a much smaller role and that was not going to happen freely it'll happen through collapse and through crisis economic collapse economic probably. collapse and crisis okay. there's, no, there's no doubt in my mind understood and and the third sort of benefit the third thing that um, that your generation will experience I think is a much higher degree of, of autonomy in terms of the, I'm going to call it the grid, you know, the, the access to energy, 
access to to all the things that that we need as communities to survive and thrive, generating our own energy, generating our own our own waste treatment, generating our own water. Water. I think that the um, the way in which we organize our lives, the way in which we we create value, the way in which we 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 are, we live as creative, sentient beings, that that will dramatically change and that your generation will have some amazing creative solutions to the the deconstruction of the oversized unnatural ecology squashing structures that we have today okay well the question that that i had next in line is actually kind of solves itself with one of your answers there and the question was is local is small business and local entrepreneurship dead in western countries mm. and your argument was probably yes it is right now but once once the structure that is killing uh, local and small entrepreneurship is gone and is deconstructed there is an ever greater and better ground fertile ground for a small business to flourish okay yeah. okay well that that makes me very hopeful because I would love an environment where individualism plays a, a large role um, instead of collectivism. Um, what advice would you give to a man my age living in China? And not, as, not seeing him as doing your Western bidding for you, but what advice would you give to a man my age living in China? considering there's no room for collectivism for individualism there it's all collectivism well I've just been reading a book just about to finish it by an extraordinary woman called Nian Cheng who was born in the 1920s so she was no she wasn't she was born in 19 in the early 1920s so when the Cultural Revolution came along in the 1960s, 1967, she was, she was widowed and imprisoned as a capitalist runner and an imperialist dog because her husband had been general manager for Shell for many years after the communist takeover and he was a diplomat for the um, Kuomintang government. Um, and deliberately stayed in China because he welcomed the arrival of the communists because the Kuomintang um, under Chiang Kai-shek was so corrupt and such a bad organisation that he thought it couldn't be any worse than this. Anyway, she was thrown into prison um, and the the story of her imprisonment and what she had to suffer through in the Cultural Revolution and the death of Mao and that period gave gives a, an, a deep insight into how how life in China is effectively constrained by 
the Communist Party and has been for the best part of 70 years now. So for me to give an advice to a young man in China in these days, I think it's I think it's it's nonsense to apply our own our own ideas of what a state should look like. What I do know is that I find you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party is a military dictatorship and that it's a bit like that has been very successful in adapting, but it's still a military dictatorship and a brutal one at that. Come, come to the West. <laughs> well, in order to what, what, what would the question be that he comes to me with? That he's twenty, this fictitious twenty-one-year-old. Would it be, what do I have to do to survive and thrive in my own country? What is, what do I have to do to to achieve the greatest prosperity for myself and my my future family? That. The second one. Well. There's no no path is without risk, and the Communist Party in China seems to be pretty well entrenched, and they you know may well even make it to the hundred year anniversary and be one of the longest serving communist parties in the world. Um, may well happen by you know it's only what twenty eight years until the hundredth anniversary of communist takeover of China. What year would that be? 2048 40, 49 yeah, yeah. so you know one of the ways to prosperity would be to climb up the greasy pole at the communist party and become you know mayor of shanghai or or one of the sort of regional overlords because that way you can you know become a billionaire or a hundred million a centimillionaire because they're all corrupt and that's how the system works you know, the chinese the Chinese Congress has the largest number of of millionaires and centimillionaires of any political organization in the world. So well, that's, and that's most what, of them weren't millionaires no, before they, they joined the party. They, so. so that's you know that's one way of going about it. Okay. Um, the other way, I mean, you know, the Chinese have, have got a very that they they, they 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 urgently need entrepreneurial success. So, I'm sure there's I'm sure there are many roads to prosperity if you're prepared to play within the system. If you don't like the system, if you if you hanker for the sort of liberties that we are used to here, then probably leaving the country or going to another. Asian country is probably your best bet to Singapore or to Malaysia or somewhere. I don't know. I'm not sure what advice I would give him. Not certainly without knowing more about what his own personal principles were. Okay. Fair enough. Um, well, I've, I have a whole section of, of questions on government and politics, but I feel like we've talked a lot about the size of government and the structure of government. So I would like to kind of skip that segment, maybe come back to it. It's your interview. Um, but a question I have for you, because this is a topic that I've been kind of obsessed with since the release of certain documents by the Pentagon, um, official documents, which have been kept in secret for a very long time. Um, 
a topic that fascinates me that would probably if we would know the truth about this topic or if we would search or if we would investigate this topic more as a, as humanity as as a hum, human collective uh, would give us um, a lot of direction in what our place in the universe is so the question is what do we really know about extraterrestrials also known as aliens what do you know what do you make of it absolutely nothing you've not gone down the rabbit hole of the pentagon documents never never ever never why not doesn't interest me that doesn't interest you not at all why not if there's if there's if there's a chance which which there is since i've read the documents okay it's not my, it's not i'm not being interviewed but um i've read the documents and there is a bucket load many bucket loads of evidence suggesting that we have sighted hundreds of crafts aircrafts um over the last since since the US started recording this after the second world war of um of flying objects that ca- could not possibly have been made by humans if so not in the US and if so Russia would have won the cold war <laughs> so um what i'm trying to ask you is why haven't you looked why haven't you how how come it doesn't interest you if you've so many fundamental questions about the world so many topics that would all lead to you questioning or having an interest in this topic if there is other life out there there's a um <clears throat> there is a um saying which says you could find yourself that the, the world is split up into your business other people's business and god's business and that the only thing that you should really concern yourself with is your business because other people's business is definitely not your business which where a lot of trouble happens and god's business is god's business and i i'm more than happy to confine myself with understanding how to exist well in this world and my ability to add a jot or tittle to the knowledge or understanding of of possible other life forms in this universe or any of the other galaxies that make up the entire spectrum is beyond my ability to to influence or to add anything to so at, at the very 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 least all i can do is be a consumer of unverifiable knowledge so there might Fair be a, there might be a pentagon paper do you know that it's real the do pentagon you, itself released it do we oh, you mean that the pentagon could be do we, manipulating do we, do we okay. know? Fair enough. so so once i have i have no way of verifying it i'm entirely dependent on other people's possibly deeply emotional response to this information i have no context in which to put it 
I've never had personal experience of it. I, I could drive myself mad, possibly, trying to figure out what is true or not, and then trying to put it in some sort of context, and then figuring out what it might possibly have to do with me, that I would rather just... Leave it, and let it happen, if it's supposed And to then somebody, I'm sure, will send me a memo saying, by the way, they're here. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I I just wanted to ask the question because I thought that you you would have the you would have the facts in order what would be a fact and what I don't what I cannot a, be. I, I have no knowledge. I have about as much knowledge of aliens as I have of cryptocurrencies. All right. Well, then I'll leave it. <laughs> um, the question that I would like to conclude with um, would be how would you rate yourself as a father? What are you happy you did? What would you like to have done differently? On a scale of 0 to 10? If that's if that's what you want to go by. I don't know. 6. That low? Yeah, because when I look back at the beginning of our family life, you know, when you were, when I was just setting off on my own business career independently. When you found your own business. Yeah, I could have organised my life in an entirely different way in order to be more present at home with the four of you growing up I could have done that there was there was there was no barrier because of the way that I set the business up if I'd have been happy with that rather than constantly looking for something else then and I'd and if I'd have asked myself what's really important you know, I, I then I, I could have organized my time in a much, much more different way without giving up anything. In fact, I would have won a lot given the position that we were starting in, which was a very comfortable one. So, and the fact that I didn't led to my making a few mistakes that led to serious consequences for us as a family in 2008 in the crash. And the result of that was that I've spent a good deal of time over the last decade not being present at all because I was so worried and depressed part of the time. So I could have avoided all that if I'd have been more aware and when I listen to people saying you know, in business who are very busy with their careers or their businesses that they're doing this for the family and that they're actually not it's a lame excuse if you're doing this if you're sort of being aggressively entrepreneurial and empire building then you are you're doing it for you because your family don't really care how big your bank account is they care whether you're there or not so on that score I would score myself lowly 
certainly wouldn't give myself anything over a eight or nine because of the choices that I made that kept me away from participating as fully as I could do. And I remember thinking back to the time when, and I can't remember, I think, I think it was when Bunny, when your elder sister was was one uh, was one, and we had the children's play group, um, the IKP in Peking. Yeah. Well, Mama had gone with you the first time, so when you were one and a half, and we were out in Peking, and this children's play group, which was always at eleven o'clock in, I think ten o'clock in the morning for two hours. I can't remember. No, well, I can't. And there were sort of ten mummies, and there with their toddlers. And because Mama was tied up with Georgie, pregnant, I seem to remember it was it was me. I took Bunny for a year to most of those sessions, mm-hmm. and it was from ten to twelve or nine to eleven or something in the morning, and it was two hours of play. To, and it was me and. 10 other mummies with their babies. No other men. Not one. And I remember thinking, I mean, you know, it was fun. And I loved the time with Bunny. I, I just, I loved it. I loved having that, that ability just to be, you know, to play and sing and do sort of things that usually any mummies did. And, and I did it because I could. And I remember getting into real trouble with the other husbands. He said, yeah, God, our wife's coming home and they're giving me absolute bollocking because <laughs> look at Stephen's doing it. And well, they're why right. Why they're can't, right. <laughs> why can't? Why can't? It? And I don't think it It doesn't would. just have to be a, a female thing to, to spend time with the no. kids while they're developing. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And, and, and what, what I'm trying to say is that that was, you know, I made it possible because it had to be, but I didn't miss anything. I didn't miss anything from a work perspective and I've always wanted to be completely independent I'm, I, I'm, I'm totally unemployable I, I need to be self-employed completely self-directed completely yeah. and I'm prepared to take the ups and the downs with it you know the family has to test is if a family is married to somebody who is an entrepreneur or responsible for their own lives then entirely then they they're sort of hitched to the back of that roller coaster whether they like it or not which is you know, um, so to answer the question I think I've not been very good in that respect where I have been deliberate and intentional is in treating you all as sentient human beings right from the beginning I I've always wanted you to have your own your own personality and ability to think and make decisions for yourself. And I've been, I've been focused and intentional about treating you in that way and letting you make your own decisions. I've been ruthless, I think, when it comes to manners and bullying. I don't, I won't have that. You know that. I know that. Um, because I think that's just important. It's it is because it's my job to stand up for fairness in the family and being 
treated properly and good manners. But apart from that, I've, the only thing I've really wanted for every each one of you is that you love your lives and take complete control of them and know that you can um, without any indoctrination from from us so and I know that and I'm really thankful for you to to have instilled that in every single one of us some more some some a bit less but I I'm definitely happy with my upbringing very thankful for my upbringing oh that's good and um, and I wouldn't take that I wouldn't be too hard on yourself on in terms of not having been there at the beginning that much mm. because the fact that you're sitting there and you know that and you've you've reflected on that and you're so clear in your articulation of it is is worth more than than all of that so 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 we never got on to libertarianism we never got on to libertarianism so we're probably going to have to do another one <laughs> Seeing that this is my first attempt at a podcast, I'm not sure how the recordings will be because um, we had to interrupt a few times. But I'm happy we did this. I'm thankful for your time. We'll see if we have to do it again or or if we'll do another one. Um, um, I, I'd hopefully look forward to it if we do. And um, want to thank you for your time and and for your answers and for your authenticity in your answers um, and hope that the the two goons listening to this <laughs> enjoyed it <laughs> um, and hope we can do this again soon yeah I'd love to and good luck with your podcast series brilliant thank you A massive thank you to anyone who got this far in the podcast. I really appreciate you. Anyone who listened to the Generational Knowledge Podcast, you're an absolute legend. If you enjoyed it, please send it on. For your information, we I will probably make another episode with my dad as I had so many questions that I just didn't get to ask. Um, depends on timing, when that will be. Can't make any promises yet, but just stay in the loop, send the podcast on, and I hope to see you again soon.